Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. You may be seated. My name is Tim Barton. I'm the pastor of Family Ministries here at the Vine, and um, I know most of you, I think, but there's some of you who may not have seen me before. That's because uh, my wife and family and I have been on sabbatical um, a good bit portion of this summer. And I just wanted to stop and say to our elders, to all of you, um, thank you for that privilege that has been uh, recharging, refreshing, encouraging um, from, from Carrie Ann and um, my boys and I. Um, and we're just deeply grateful for that time this summer. Before I continue, I also wanted to address... Um, One thing, uh, it's a rumor that got out while we were gone. And this rumor that got out was that, um, you know, a few people were saying that I had been meeting with people that I shouldn't have been meeting with while I was on sabbatical. It bothers me that some in the congregation uh, might say that. Might say, what was Tim thinking? He's a pastor. Why would he associate with those people? Okay, that didn't really happen. (laughs) But I share it with you for this reason. We're in Acts chapter 11 today, verses 1 through 18. And the discomfort you just felt right there, some of you, (laughs) the discomfort you just felt is part of what the young Jewish Christians must have felt when they felt, when they heard that Peter had gone to talk to the Gentiles, to the uncircumcised to the unclean. And he comes back, and and that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 11. Um, And it's important this morning because what they were coming back thinking was, or, or as Peter's coming back, these young Jewish Christians didn't understand. They really had no context with, with which, or hadn't learned yet to understand what was going on here. And they were not happy about the fact when they heard this about Peter. They could not fathom that Peter would go to those people. And so they confronted him. And so as we prepare to read, um, I remind you that we're in a series called The Power of the Church in the Face of Persecution. The passage we're going to read today, though, is is we're going to read it, and some of you are going to think, well, that's not really persecution, and I'll agree with you. But what I am going to call it, it is a subtle form of that, because it is a subtle infiltration into the thinking of the church that's affected by the world and the culture around them. And I put it that way because right now we live in a time where there is a subtle infiltration, sometimes not so subtle, infiltration into the church of God, into God's church, that is impacted, where the world and the culture is impacting us rather than our biblical thinking impacting the world and culture. And so it's important for us to gather that as we come to this this morning. And so with that backdrop, uh, the, the young Jewish Christians... Um, they, they started with the biblical principles, but they got off track. And so again, they couldn't fathom what Peter was doing. But I also want to ask you to think about this as we read today. Who are those people in your life? And we'll talk about that more as we go. Let's read from Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through, 15, 1 through 18. And I remind you, that this is God's word. 
Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three more times and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also... God has granted repentance that leads to life. Just before what we read here in Acts chapter 11, this, this story is fully told in Acts chapter 10. And that's the first time Luke shares it in Acts chapter 10. He gives this whole big um, explanation of what's happened. Um, and, then in, and now we come to Acts chapter 11, and this event was so important in history, in the Jewish history, in Christian history, and, and so important for us today that Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, after already telling the story once, now records Peter's retelling of the story. And so he records it again, and as chapter 11 begins, you can feel that angst, that discomfort that I let y'all feel a little bit a minute ago. You can feel that um, in, in even more detail beginning to brew as we look at verses 1 through 11. So, so look at that context with me one more time. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now we think today um, that social media, because of social media and other things, that information travels fast, right? Good information, bad information, you know, it travels really fast. But keep in mind, Peter had just done this. He stayed a few days, it says some days, but by the time he gets back, word has already spread and they're waiting on him. They've gathered together and are waiting on him to confront him when he returns. All right? So this has happened. When he gets there, they're confronting him for doing the unthinkable. They could not believe it. Peter, you went to those people? Really, Peter? The uncircumcised, the unclean, the Gentiles? 
Clearly, the Jewish Christians did not like the fact that Peter had been eating with the Gentiles and, and had been hanging out with them. And it would have been even worse. It was made worse by the fact that the Gentiles they were meeting with was, was a, we know from chapter 10, was Cornelius, who was a Roman centurion of the Italian cohort. That means mostly nothing to us. Let me explain why that matters. What that means is that he was a Roman officer in charge of elite Roman soldiers with no outsiders or mercenaries mixed in. So they were the elite of the elite of the Roman soldiers who were occupying Israel at the time. So they were the most feared and the most despised. That's who Peter went to. That didn't sit well with the young Jewish Christians. Why were they so worked up? Why the angst? Well, that's the first thing we're gonna dive into a little bit deeper this morning. There's two things we'll jump into today. And it's important to see some of why they had the angst because I suspect that in our own ways, we might have some of the same angst. So the first thing we're gonna see in the passage this morning, if we are followers of Jesus, there will be angst in our lives. There will be uncomfort in our lives with what God calls us to do. The young Jewish Christians in this passage had great, great angst because their thinking was wrong and that was affecting their hearts and their actions. We see how their thinking was wrong in several ways. First, they were wrong about God's purposes. Now, there's, there's um, indication of that here. There's evidence of them being wrong about God's purposes here, but we have to back up a little bit to understand how they were wrong. And we have to go way back, all the way to Genesis. Genesis chapter 12, verse three. In Genesis 12, three, God is talking to Abraham, who if you don't know, becomes the father of um, the Israelites. God told Abraham in Genesis 3, 12, 3, and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And then in, chapter, in Genesis 22, 18, he specifies in, to Abraham again, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. What the Jews had misunderstood about God's purpose, these young Jewish Christians, is that they thought the seed of Abraham meant only through Israel and the Jewish race would the nations be blessed. And some of that did happen in the Old Testament because they were relating to, with Israel. Um, victories might be one, different things. And so there is some of that, but it's incomplete. And that's what God showed, even showed Abraham there. Through your seed, the seed was much bigger than just the line of Israel. The seed was who we all know as Jesus the Lamb of God, the Redeemer who was to come. Yes, Jesus came from the Jewish race, but the goal was not to be blessed by a nation. The goal was to be blessed by a Savior, by a Redeemer. And then we see now go to the end of the Bible, which is looking forward to the time to come. In Revelation 5, 9, we were just singing this earlier, says that the, the, um, Jesus is being worshiped by the people and the creatures and they're saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. God's purpose is to glorify himself through the salvation of his people from every nation. And the actual word there is ethne and that means people group. So from, from every people group. 
The young Jewish Christians didn't understand this yet at this point. The second way their thinking was wrong was they were wrong by emphasizing human traditions over God's saving work. Think about the scenario here. Peter has gone into a house to a group that no one had ever gone to. He preaches, and, and that we know from chapter 10 that Cornelius had his family there and friends. He said he gathered his family and friends, quite a few people probably. And it says that a great number in their house believed and his household was baptized. Right? There's a lot of cool things going on there. But Peter gets back to the Jewish people and rather than, enjoying, rather than rejoicing and enjoying what God had done, they were grumbling about the matter of Peter's eating with Gentiles, with those people. They were more concerned about Peter violating their misunderstood religious laws than they were happy about Gentiles being saved. You see, the Old Testament pointed to old cleanliness walls and that they were going to be done away with when Jesus came, when the Messiah came. But the, Jews did, they, they did, the Jewish Christians hadn't really seen that yet. They haven't, hadn't really comprehended that yet. The requirement to be circumcised and to become, become Jewish to enter the kingdom of God had been done away with, but they didn't see that yet either. They were too stuck on how, how they were comfortable doing things. Let me say that again. They were too stuck on how they were comfortable doing things things that were not required of them biblically, and they were focusing on those things as the most important. Do we have anything like that? Anything like that? Are there things that we focus on as the primary that are not required biblically? I'm gonna go ahead and answer for us. Yes, we do. All of us have those things in our lives. We've gotta constantly examine those by God's word because as a result of them doing that, their hearts could not rejoice in God saving a bunch of Gentiles. Third way they were wrong in their thinking was wrong by emphasizing that the church be made up of my kind of people. Now I want to pause a minute and say this because sometimes we, we, we forget this. The Christian Jews, I don't think here, I think they were genuinely followers of Jesus. I don't think they were heartless jerks. Sometimes, you know, when we talk about these things, it kind of comes across that way. No, they just didn't understand yet. They were still growing. God was still working on them. You see, they were excited that, that the Jewish people who had been scattered around were coming to faith. They were excited that, that people who were coming to faith were, were taking on the Jewish um, customs and, and being in the church. They were, they were all good with that. But through bad teaching through misunderstanding of what had been said in the Old Testament, those other Jewish people were the only people they were trying to reach. That's all they were trying to go after because they were the people they were comfortable with. They were the target audience. But like God does, God went and messed up their plan. God said, no, that's not the full picture of what you need to see here. You see, for them and for us, we need to be constantly reminded that God is most glorified when a local church is made up of people who would never or who would rarely get together 
or who would possibly made up of people who would not get along if it weren't for the saving grace of our Lord Jesus. I want you to pause a minute and just kind of look around. I'm thankful that in this room, there's definitely a majority of what we look like. But I'm thankful in this room that, that we don't all look the same. We don't all have the same ethnic background because that is a picture of what heaven's gonna be like and we better get used to it because our church should, be, should more and more reflect what our community looks like. That's not a suggestion. That's a picture of the gospel going forth. Can we gather together as people that have the only, if the only thing we have in common is the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, are we okay to figure out how to gather together and praise him together? That's what God's word shows us. It's uncomfortable sometimes, but it's what he shows us. It's not different, again, from our experience. God's gonna call us to situations and the people that we're uncomfortable with. That might be on the mission field in a foreign country, but it might also mean that God's called you to move into a different neighborhood in Forsyth County. Or it might mean that he's called you don't move out of a neighborhood even though the neighborhood's changing all around you. It might mean that you still need to love the person who passed you up for a promotion for whom you were passed up for a promotion. It might mean that boss that really gets on your nerves that you still need to care for and love them. I could go on and on. I'll let you fill in the blanks as you think about this throughout the day. It might also mean that he's calling you to develop a friendship and to care for or respect someone you really don't even like. If we are following God, if we are following Jesus, we will have angst over what he's doing in us. We will have angst at time over what he's doing around us. We will have angst at what he's calling us to do. That's because he will challenge the way we think. He is going to challenge us. He will make us uncomfortable, but he will also help us to continue to learn the gospel and apply it to our own hearts as he sends us out to share that message with others. That's our second point. And it's that if we are followers of Jesus, he will continue to change our thinking to be more like his. For that to happen, though, um, I want to ask you this question. Are you willing to ask God to change your heart in the way you think? Are you willing to ask God to change your heart in the way you think? Here's the deal. Jordan and I can laugh about this a little bit. Um, basically, if Jordan comes to me with an idea, I always start with no. See, I told you. He said, that's true. Why is that? Because I don't like change. All right? Imagine when God comes to me and says, hey, Tim, and he's showing me something in his word. Where do you think I want to start? I want to go, no, Lord. No, that can't be true. That can't be right. That's where I want to start. But regularly, I would even contend daily, we should, be, we should be saying, Lord, will you please show me where you want me to change? My thinking, my heart, my actions. 
You see, I think Peter was willing to pray that. I think Peter was asking that because Peter came from a place that he's sharing truth from a place of weakness, from a place of acknowledgement that God is still growing me, from a place of finding his strength in the fact that he was engaged in God's work and not his own. And then don't miss this part, from a place of love because he understood he needed the message of the gospel. He needed the message that he was a sinner saved only by the work of Jesus Christ, that his power to change is only in the work of the Spirit, applying his word to his life. He needed that message as much as the people he was talking to. And I think he was growing to understand that. Do we understand that? I need the message of the gospel as much as those people. Peter's mind was beginning to change. And we see that in the passage. And I think that he learns two things. First, he learns that there are no external factors which God considers in the salvation of a person. There are no external factors that God considers in the salvation of a person. You get what I mean by that? He doesn't look at someone and to, to decide, are they worth me saving or not, based on the works they're doing. Look back to verse seven and nine. It says, and I heard, or seven through nine, it says, and I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. Peter understood a lot about following Jesus. He understood a lot regarding what to tell other people about Jesus. But Peter relays the fact that he was confused when the Lord told him to eat from the animals he was not previously allowed to eat from. And we know from the telling of this story in chapter 10, verse 17, right after the Lord told him this, that even after God told him not to call common what God had called clean, he was still confused. Chapter 10, verse 17, it says, now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, the men from Cornelius showed up to where he was staying. He didn't have to get it all right in his head before the men from Cornelius showed up, before God called him to do something. It was while he was still inwardly perplexed. He was still trying to figure this thing out. And don't forget, this is Peter, again, who had denied Jesus three times. This is Peter who, um, who just who cut off the, centurion, or the, the a Roman soldier's ear. This is Peter who constantly was learning, constantly understanding, oh, wait, I don't get it yet. And yet this same Peter is the one who um, at Pentecost preached the first sermon and he, he's the one so far in Acts that we've seen preaching. But now he's still learning. And, and Peter relays what God told him in verse 12. He says, and the spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. Another translation of that, being no respecter of persons. It doesn't matter that he's a Gentile. It doesn't matter that he's uncircumcised. You go to him. And then somewhere in the process, Peter, the, the chapter 10 shows this more detailed, but somewhere in the process of the men coming to Peter and then, um, and then Peter going, he's now at the house of Cornelius and he's getting ready to talk and somewhere through all that he begins to understand because in chapter 10, verse 34 through 35, as he's standing before Cornelius' house, he says, 
Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Peter had learned that being a follower of God happened by having an outward sign of circumcision. That being a follower of God happened because they had followed the law of what to eat and not eat. And he and these other Jewish Christians had been impacted by the idea that to be in the kingdom of God, you must be a good Jew. But God was changing Peter's thinking as he was following him, as he was sharing this message of the gospel with others. And as he did so, God showed him that external work does not make someone right before God. It requires a heart change. Paul talks about this later. The apostle Paul talks about this later in Romans chapter two. And he says, for no one is a Jew, no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. True belief is through God changing a heart. Do you believe that this morning? Because if we, if we don't, then we can walk around thinking, I, don't, I can't go to those people, they're beyond believing. Or I can't go to those people, I don't know how, and God can't work through me to go do that. But you see, God helped Peter learn that only God can change hearts. God's the one who does that. Let me look at that a little bit more deeply with you. Conversion, you see, coming to know Jesus requires a heart transplant. It's not just an intellectual consent. It is a heart transplant. And it's one that God gives and that only he can give. In this specific story we just read, the people are all worked up. We've talked about that. But he, uh, with six witnesses, and I always think it's interesting that little part that it throws in there because when um, they said to come to Cornelius, Peter took six people with him, right, to go to Cornelius so that other people saw what was going on here. And now as he goes to the Jews, guess what? He brought six people with him back to the Jews too. You think he knew what was about to happen? I think he knew. And so he brings them with him. And he's saying to these, these young Jewish Christians, I'm not the one who did this. I know y'all are upset, but I'm not the one who did this. God's purpose did this. God took initiative in the salvation of the Gentiles. Peter, who was confused in chapter 10, 17, when he had the first vision, now he sees his thinking had been wrong. And as his thinking is wrong, as his heart and actions change, it's now going to affect these young Jewish Christians. But here's what he tells them. And I'm gonna summarize verses four through 13 rather than reading it. He says to them, God gave me the vision of the sheep being lowered from heaven with the unclean animals and the command to eat. God sent his angels to Cornelius with instructions as to how to get in contact um, with, with Peter. God orchestrated the arrival of the Gentile messengers from Cornelius with Peter's vision. Peter told him in chapter eight, I didn't want this to happen. It's like he reiterates it again. I didn't want this to happen. I thought, no, Lord, no, no, not me. That can't be right. And he says, but God specifically told Peter not to call unclean what he had called clean. And Peter tells the people, God repeated it three times. 
to make it clear that God was teaching Peter to change his way of thinking about God's purpose. You get all that? There's one con continuing word there. God was doing. It's what he was doing. But then notice something, and it's a little aside in the middle of it. God's doing all that work. But the angel did not preach to Cornelius. God's messenger in that sense, the angel did not preach to Cornelius. He told Cornelius to go send for Peter. So he sends for Peter. Peter comes. Peter has one job. Submit to God and speak the words by which Cornelius must be saved. God's telling Peter, don't worry about who Cornelius is. Don't worry about the fact that he's this Roman centurion. Don't worry about what you think of him. Don't worry about what others think of you for going. Just go and share the message by which he may be saved. And here's a very humbling part as a pastor. Verse 15 God continued saving the Gentiles and sent the Holy Spirit upon them even before Peter finished his sermon. It wasn't about how eloquent Peter was or about how great he worked on, he, he presented things. It wasn't about how, how wonderful Peter was. He didn't even have to finish preaching. And God saved these Gentiles in Cornelius' home. And then verse 16 and 17, we see that Peter has this recognition, this recognition that it's God who changes hearts. He says, and I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in his way? Who are we? that we might stand in the way of those people. The Jewish Christians changed as, as God had changed Peter. When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now I want to be clear, they got it. They're believers here. You know, they still struggle with this. We see it in Galatians. We see it in Acts 15. They're still dealing with these things and working through them as they go. They're still growing. And that's important for us too. Because today you may get a glimpse of this. Guess what? In, in two years, you're going to need more of that. I'm going to need more of that. The question is, are we asking God to continue to change our way of thinking? and to change our hearts and our actions as a result. Because if we are following Jesus, we will have angst over what he's doing in us and around us, over what he's calling us to do. But if we are following Jesus, he will continue to change our thinking to be more like his. There are plenty of places our thinking needs to change, but in line with this passage this morning, Will you ask him to change your thinking toward those people in your life? If you wonder who those people are, 
Let's go back to my beginning illustration. When I was sharing that someone in the church was worked up because I was meeting with those people, who were those people you thought of? That's one way that might give you indication of who those people are in your life. But it may be bigger than that. Um, That's just one way. Ask the Lord to show you that. But I also want to address, if you're here this morning and you felt like one of those people before. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, or maybe you are now, but you still have some um, struggle in that in your heart um, from ways that you were hurt before. First of all, if you were one of, if you feel that way, if, if the church, if followers of Jesus, if we have made you feel that way, I want to stand here as a pastor, but, but someone as in need of God's grace as you and say, I'm sorry. And say that we as a church are sorry if you've been treated as those people. And I want to encourage you that if you look around this room, you're probably not going to be comfortable doing that right now. But if there is any person in this room who calls themselves or who is a follower of Jesus, we were those people too. We needed the grace of God based on no external factors because none of our external factors were good enough. We might have thought that they were. We might have put on a show, but we needed it just as much. We still need it just as much as you. And so I invite you this morning where you ask Jesus to show you to show you that he will receive you despite all those external things. He will receive you. And the church, this church, we will learn to walk together in that with one another, to love one another as God changes our minds and our actions and our hearts. As we prepare for the Lord's table, I want to ask you as followers of Jesus, to ask him to show you two things. Is there anywhere that my thinking needs to change that you're showing me this morning, Lord? And two, will you show me who those people are in my life? Let's take a few moments to pray silently um, and then I'll bring us together into the Lord's table. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at thevinecc. Have a great week.